You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Will you all grab a seat? Welcome to Redeemer. For those of you joining online, we're all really excited that you're with, joining with us from wherever you are. And for those of you in the room, we're excited that you're here as well. And for those many of you who over the last few weeks have been sitting close to the front, praise the Lord, thank you, thank God. And there's still a few empty seats on the very front row for the overachievers and those that I love most. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you've been around Redeemer any uh, length of time, uh, this last year, you know that we've been walking through this book, and we think there's really uh, not much better than walking through books of the Bible, and we're in the middle of Romans, which is potentially the greatest letter uh, ever written. It talks a lot about uh, who Jesus is, what he has done, and then it transitions towards the end of the book into some very practical things. Uh, Therefore, in light of who Jesus is, what he has done, how we're supposed to live as Christians in the world. And uh, today, Paul is going to talk a little bit about uh, what it looks like as a church family to live as a family or as the body of Christ in the uh, world. So uh, if you have a Bible, get to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. I'm going to read it uh, for us, and it will be here on the screen uh, for you as well. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, although many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts, uh, who does acts of mercy uh, with cheerfulness. Uh, this is uh, springtime, and springtime for a lot of us uh, has to do with uh, watching a lot of sports and a lot of things that are taking place. I know many of you are basketball fans, and March Madness is coming up for you. Uh, I went to Dallas Baptist University, and so I care a lot about college baseball, and uh, so that's kind of off and running. Uh, and what I love about uh, the DBU Patriot baseball team, go Patriots for any of you in the room, all four of us, We are in the minority. Uh, What you kind of notice if you watch any sports and you really kind of follow any kind of uh, coach that has a legacy or uh, they've created a dynasty or they've just created this this thing that just tends to to keep winning, uh, what what you notice is that uh, they have really a lot of unity in diversity. There's two things that always come together when you have teams or coaches that do really well. You have uh, unity in diversity. So diversity, if you have a team and you're a coach, you have to have a lot of different types of players. You have to have a lot of different strengths uh, if you're going to put together a winning team. Uh, If you're putting together a baseball team, you can't just have one cookie cutter uh, player uh, that has these strengths because if everyone is a pitcher, you're just not going to do well. So you need a first baseman that's got some loose hamstrings that can really uh, really stretch out and grab the ball. Uh, You're going to need probably a shortstop that's really uh, small, really wiry, that can catch some ground balls. You're going to need 
a, a pitcher that can go pretty far into the game. You know, he's going to pitch 60, 70, 80, 90 uh, pitches per game. You're going to need a closer that's going to just throw some nasty pitches towards the end of the game, maybe, maybe only see a couple batters. Uh, you're going to need uh, some hitters. You're going to need some outfielders with some speed, with an arm. Like, what, what you have to have uh, if you're going to win is a lot of diversity, uh, people that are good at every different position. But in the midst of all that diversity, there has to be an element of unity. They have to be working together as a team for a common goal. If you've got a lot of people that are very gifted at their positions, but they're all about themselves, not so much the team, uh, it's just not going to work. Uh, and what you have in this text, uh, is, it's, it's, it's the mind and the heart of Jesus trying to accomplish a goal. You can almost think of him uh, as a coach trying to uh, put together this team or what we call the body of Christ, the, uh, the church of Jesus Christ to accomplish a mission, and uh, really the main theme of these few verses is uh, unity in diversity. We've all been given very different gifts, and they're all incredibly important to be used uh, in, in a unified fashion uh, to advance the mission of Jesus on the planet. I want to really show you uh, two ways that the church being unified in diversity is going to advance two different things, really the mission on two different fronts. One, if we think about the mission of Jesus as a kind of an external mission or a forward-facing mission, this has to do with Jesus' goal to cover the globe uh, with the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus. Jesus' goal is to cover the planet with his glory through explaining the gospel to people. But his, also his goal, if you think about it uh, in an internal sense, is to take care of people. To, to, to meet their needs, to see that they have community, that they have a family, to, to see them through uh, difficult times, to mourn with them, to celebrate with them. So if you think there's a, there's a goal internally for, for people to be taken care of, and there's a goal externally to advance the mission of Jesus on the planet, the way he has organized the execution of this is not just through individuals, but literally through a group, through family, through what we call the body of Christ or the church of Jesus Christ. You can think about it as a team, uh, God being a coach, and he wants to take care of people and advance his mission, and so he's created this, this body that he has given very different gifts to, and we get to advance those two things as we are unified uh, with great diversity. Uh, and in the beginning of this, this section, he talks a lot about an, our attitude. Uh, if we're going to be a healthy team, a healthy church, a healthy body that's going to advance those two missions, he talks about an attitude of humility. He starts out by saying this, uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And, that, and he starts out just saying, you got to be really careful because we all have a propensity to uh, think more of ourselves than we should. Agreed? This is an honest place. This is a safe place. I think there's just this tendency where we kind of tend to, that we, we tend to overthink uh, our abilities. We tend to overthink our importance. We tend to overthink a lot of things about our sincerity. Uh, and Paul is saying you need to be careful uh, because that's the kind of attitude that destroys a family or that destroys a body or that destroys unity. So he starts out by giving us this, uh, this caution to not think of ourselves too highly. And I think the opposite of that is true. You find that um, throughout the rest of this text that every single Christian 
has been given certain gifts uh, to employ for the family of Christ. And so we ought to not think of ourselves too highly, like we're the most important in the room, but we also not to, to think of ourselves too lowly, like we don't matter and like our gifts don't matter. And there's kind of a sweet spot right in the middle where we don't think too highly of ourselves that we're the point of everything, but we don't think too lowly of ourselves to think that nobody cares and, and the world doesn't need our gifts and the church doesn't need us to do something. Um, the right godly response is somewhere right in the middle. And we've talked about this often that uh, the opposite of pride, which is, uh, pride is a self-centered way of thinking and way of living our lives. And that can be seen as self-centeredness where we think too highly of ourselves or self-centeredness where we think too lowly of ourselves. But the epicenter of both of those trains of thought is what? It's the self. And so the way Christians are supposed to operate in the world is not by thinking uh, much of ourselves or less of ourselves, but by thinking of ourselves less, right? Uh, sociologists have shown an interesting phenomenon um, that we're kind of in the middle of in the Western world, um, that really up until the 20th century, uh, most cultures on the history of the planet have believed the problem with humanity and all of the, uh, the maladies and the sins and the destruction that takes place with people stems from the fact that we think way too much of ourselves, that we think too highly of ourselves, that we have too high of a self-esteem. That's been the case for most cultures um, throughout history, and probably uh, that's the case of most cultures on the planet today. However, in the West, uh, just a few decades ago, that shifted, uh, where now what we're being taught in the culture that we live in is that uh, most of our problems has to do with we have low self-esteem. We think too little of ourselves, and the gospel answer, it's not e either one of those. It's to shift the focus from us to others. And if we're going to be unified in diversity, humility is the key to doing that because humility and unity, they, they just tend to go hand in hand. Pride and unity, they can't occupy the same space. So that's the first call that he gives us is to have an attitude of humility, to have an others-centeredness. And then he says, uh, like, kind of gives us a, a framework for how to do that. How are we supposed to see ourselves accurately, not too high, where we think we're way too important, not too low, where we don't think that our gifts are necessary? And he calls us to some self-reflection and some sober judgment. He says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And the opposite of sober judgment is very literally drunk judgment. If we were to write our own little version of the Bible in today's vernacular, it would say like, like beer goggles is the opposite of that. Like drunk judgment to have our senses impaired where we just don't quite see things clearly. Uh, if you have your senses uh, changed by uh, alcohol, then y'all have heard the term. We, we're looking through things with these beer goggles and it's not, it's not sober judgment, it's tainted judgment. And, and so Paul is saying like we need to be able to think about ourselves rightly and to reflect upon ourselves with, with this kind of sober judgment. I read a stat the other day that 90% of people think that they are above average. Y'all with me? How many people are above average? Statistically, 
50% of people are above average. 90% of people think that they are above average. 40% of people are looking through right, some beer goggles, like not looking at things uh, with sober judgment. We have a tendency to overestimate our, our gifts, our importance, uh, our sincerity, and maybe we underplay that in others. Um, but Paul says we've got to carry with us a sense of humility. We don't think about ourselves. We try to think about others first, and we do that with a very sincere uh, self-reflection and sober judgment. And then he starts talking about unity in this, this one body, this, uh, this, this body that he's given us, this, this team, this family uh, that we have been called to be a part of. Uh, verse 4, for as in one body, everybody say one body. This is a dominant theme in the Bible when it's talking about Christians and the church. This idea that we are one body, that we are uh, one family, that we are this, uh, this organism that has many different parts that are all trying to work together with all of our diversity uh, towards unity so that we can accomplish the mission of Jesus on the planet. We can push the glory of God forward through the gospel and we can help take care of one another. That happens as we work to live with humility and as we try to think about ourselves in a very sober way. Uh, if you think about the analogy and the metaphor um, that the Bible uses of a body, Paul uses this all the time. He uses it here in Romans. Uh, he uses it in Corinthians and Ephesians as well. If you think about my body, if my body wants to move from here to, to over there, if that's the goal, to get over there, uh, all the different faculties of my body have to work together. My brain has to work together with my heart uh, to pump some blood, with my lungs to get some oxygen, with my legs to move, with my arms to move so that I don't look uh, awkward. Like every different part of my body uh, has to work together in order to accomplish the mission. This is the picture that Jesus gives of the church, which is it's very different than the individualistic mindset that we often have in the Western world. Because in the Western world, we tend to think about, like, what does Christianity have to do with me? Uh, how, how am I forgiven? How am I saved? How do I go to heaven when I die? How does it uh, fix my problems? How does it give uh, direction for me? Uh, and all those things are true. But we have been called and saved into a, a family, a body, and we've been given very unique and different and diverse gifts so that we all work together for the unity of this body to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 4 uh, how Paul talks about this uh, when he's talking to the church in Ephesus, talking about uh, one body or one team with very different parts all working together. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, this is on the screen for you. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's saying, you've been called into this thing called the church. Now I need to teach you, and I want you to walk in a way that's worthy of this kind of calling that you have been given with all humility. There it is again. We can't be a healthy church if we don't operate with some humility. If we're very centered focused, it's going to cause all sorts of division, all sorts of destruction, all sorts of distraction. Humility is the key to walking in unity. That's applicable to your marriage. That's applicable to your friendships. That's applicable to your family, and that's most definitely applicable to the church. It is impossible for us to be unified if we're walking in pride. We know that, right? So the key, Paul says, to this, this diversity in unity has to start with humility. 
And just as a side note, we've talked about this many times over the years, but the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he was in the garden, he was praying. Uh, We have that prayer recorded by John in John chapter 17. It's the longest prayer that we have from the Lord Jesus in writing. And it was in a very timely moment in his life when he knew he was going to have just a few hours left on the planet. Uh, I'm sure he was stressed. He was concerned about were the disciples ready to take this movement. He was concerned that, uh, about the pain he would endure on the cross. And so he goes into the garden. Uh, he kneels down. He's, he's sweating drops of blood and he's praying. And what, like, what, the, 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 the subject and the focus of his prayer during that time, it's so incredibly important because if you just had a few hours... If, if the doctor were to come in and say, hey, you've got just this horrible malady, uh, you've got a few hours to live, and you were to hit your knees and pray, what you pray in that moment would reveal a lot about your heart and your priorities. And what Jesus prays about in the garden on his knees, the, the dominating theme of his prayer is for the unity of his church, is for his people to be unified. And he prays, God, please make them one as you and I are one. It's humility that breeds this oneness. He says, with all humility and with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then notice how how much he emphasized this idea of oneness in these next few verses. So humility leading to unity, and he says, for there is one body and there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's an important theme for us to know as Christians that we're not called only to a relationship with God. We have been adopted into this family and need to labor towards unity in in local churches and local bodies. We have one body, and then he begins to talk about, back to Romans, uh, how, how, how we're on the same team, we're one body, but we have very different roles, very different gifts, very different callings. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, and we have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us." And to the extent that we, we, we learn this together and we operate with humility and we all use our gifts, then we're a healthier body, we're unified, and we do a better job of presenting the gospel to the world and taking care of the needs that we have in this room and in this family. So for the rest of this sermon, I'm going to walk through the the seven different giftings that Paul gives us in this text, and I don't want this to be just highly informational only. Uh, I don't want you to just kind of learn some things and walk out. Uh, What I would love for us all to do and to think about is what are are my giftings, what has God given me, and how am I going to employ that uh, for the unity and the mission of the church? So I don't want you to just walk away with something you know. I would love for you to walk away with something that you are ready to do. Uh, There's a lot of different lists in the Bible about spiritual gifts. Um, The Bible talks about this often 
often. Uh, it's in Ephesians. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, I believe. It's in Romans chapter 12. And almost always when uh, th- these lists of gifts are given, it's clear that every Christian has something. Every Christian has been given a gift. It has a, they're, they're a part of the body that's designed to function in a certain way. And we're healthiest when everyone is doing what they are gifted to do. And the spiritual gifts, I think the listing of them, it's, it's never an exhaustive list where it's only these options, but it's Paul giving some examples of how we're supposed to be uh, unified in diversity. Uh, there's normally three types of gifts. There's speaking gifts, there are leading gifts, and there are serving gifts. Uh, speaking gifts have to do with teaching, with preaching, with prophesying, and with encouraging. Uh, leading gifts have to do with, in the different lists, with uh, leadership, with wisdom, with gifts of governing, gifts of administration, and then serving gifts have to do with mercy, uh, with hospitality, with prayer, with healing, with meeting needs, with tongues. There's a lot of different examples in the Bible of those. So let's walk through this together. And as we do, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he has gifted you to do and how can you employ that for the church. Because if we do, there's there's a lot at at stake to, to how each Christian in the church contributes their roles to the church. There's, there's, there's two big things at stake. One is the, the, the witness of the gospel in our, in, our, in our world. And if we want to do, I think, a better and more effective job of inviting non-Christians into the story and to become disciples of Jesus, we're going to do a better job of that if all of the gifts are present, Okay. And if all of the gifts are present, you specifically are going to have all of your needs met. And the only way that we have all of our needs met practically through the body of Christ in the church is if everyone with their gifts uses them and invests them. So let's walk through this list and see what Paul has to say about gifts that God has given to the church for his glory and for our good. Number one, he says, is prophecy. Okay, number one is prophecy. Everybody say prophecy. Very literally in the Bible, especially in in this text, this means speaking the truth from God. Uh, Oftentimes when we think of prophecy, we think of uh, the Old Testament prophets that would show up and say, uh, thus saith the Lord. And then they would deliver to God's people the word of God, and that would become the, the Bible. Right, the Bible is, it's, it's words through capital P prophets that they were speaking from God on behalf of God to God's people. Uh, that is not what this is talking about. This is talking about little P prophets um, that speak the word of God to people, most of the time from the Bible. That's why it's talking about, that's why it says uh, in prophecy uh, in proportion to our faith, and you may just have to take my word for this if you look in the original language. What this is saying is that prophecy needs to be made in accordance with the faith. Or basically that anybody that stands up to teach or to preach or to give a word from God, it needs to correspond with the gospel that we already have. So there are some that are gifted uh, with prophecy. Um, that's a lot of, uh, of preaching. Is, it's a gift of prophecy that's a gift of God to the church. Uh, listen, if I just show up and tell you as a, as a preacher and as a prophet, hey, I've got a word from God and it contradicts the Bible, who should you believe the Bible, right? I'm not a capital P prophet, but I believe I've been given a gift from God as a lower P prophet to tell you what the Bible already says. I'm not revealing new prophets prophecy to you. Uh, I'm revealing old prophecy to you. 
That's what he talks about as a prophet. So there are some that are gifted as prophets that speak the truth, that preach the truth, that are able to remind you maybe in your own personal life and personal walk about what God has said, and they are gifted by the Holy Spirit to relay and to remind God's Word to us. Number two, he says service. Service. Everybody say service. There are so many options for this gift that most of the time when this is listed, it doesn't go into exhaustive detail about all the different ways service might uh, be expressed. Uh, let me just run through a few things I think that would all fit in, in gifts of service. Some of you, are, if I were to ask you, hey, would you like to come up here and grab a mic and talk to the public, you would say, absolutely not. I don't like to do that. I like to serve behind the scenes. Praise God for you. This is not so much the talkers. This is the doers, um, the servants. They help with uh, meals. They help with uh, opening their home through hospitality. They help with fixing houses. They help with uh, prayers and showing up to serve needs. They help with uh, babysitting when there's a need. They help with bringing uh, furniture and, and food when somebody gets a foster placement. They help with setup, with teardown. Just this gift of, I just want to serve. I want to use my hands to do something practical to help people and to help the church. And Paul says there's a gift where some people are wired specifically by the Holy Spirit to serve. And he says, if this is you, serve. Get to work. Find a place to serve. Number three, he says teaching. Everybody say teaching. Teaching is different than preaching. Uh, sometimes preachers are not good at teaching small groups. Sometimes small group teachers are not good at preaching to large groups. It's a different uh, gifting. And in the New Testament, especially in the first century, teaching was very crucial because many people were illiterate, and, and there, if, even if they were literate, there were just not theological books for them to read and learn, even to read the Bible on their own. So they were at the mercy of teachers who could very ad adequately teach them and connect the dots for, for what the Bible is talking about. Some of you are very gifted teachers. Uh, you're able to help people understand things. Maybe that's a small group thing. Maybe that's a, a large group thing. Um, but the church needs both uh, prophets, uh, preachers, and, and teachers. So he's talking about if this is your gift of teaching, then uh, employ that for the gospel. And then he says, number four, exhorting. Okay, everybody say Exhorting. Probably not a word that you've used much this week. Uh, a more accurate uh, understanding of that would be encouragement. Uh, some of you have been given incredible gifts of encouragement. I think, and I made this case a few weeks ago, one of the reasons that Paul brought Barnabas along with him on his journeys to plant, plant churches and share the gospel is because Barnabas was an encourager. And Paul knew if he was going to make it and not quit and not burn out and not give up, he was going to need somebody that had this spiritual gift of encouragement. And I would make the case, if you were to force me into a corner and say, Jason, pick one of the seven that we're most in dire need of in the church right now, this might be on my list. People are so discouraged. The world is discouraging. Non-Christians are discouraging. Sometimes Christians are discouraging. And we need these people that have this unbelievable, uh, it's a necessary and it's a beautiful gift to just simply encourage like to just simply be the ones that are verbally encouraging people, don't give up, you're praying with people, you're drawn to needs, and you're encouraging. And I just, I promise you, especially in our day and age, you are never going to meet somebody that is suffering from over-encouragement. You're just not. It's impossible. 
What you are going to find out is that many, many people are discouraged. And if this is your gift, I want to encourage you to fan this gift into flame. We need more people that are encouragers, more people that are actively out encouraging. We've been meeting the last many weeks with uh, community group leaders. And uh, do you know what community group leaders need more than anything? Just take a stab in the dark. Encouragement. They have the information. What they it's, it's just hard. If you're leading a group of people and you're trying to be on this mission together to have diversity and unity and, and, and grow in your faith and, and share the gospel and get out of your comfort zone, you're just going to need some encouragement because that can be very discouraging work. So some of you are gifted with this gift of encouragement. And we need you. I need you. Somebody needs you. Everybody needs you. If you know somebody encouraging in your life, chances are you love them and you like to be around them. Encouragement. Paul says like some are just gifted with this uh, ability to exhort and to encourage. So God bless you. We need you. If you're an encourager, this is your chance to shine. Number five, contributing. Everybody say contributing. This is so very simple. And this doesn't show up in every list, but Paul is talking about very basically people who contribute and give financially. Paul lists that in this list of spiritual gifts. There's some people that have a unique ability to make money. They have a unique heart to be generous and to give money. And normally the people that are wired with this spiritual gifting not just have the resource and not just the heart, but normally they have this this kind of internal direction by the Holy Spirit about where to give uh, their money and how to give it so that it multiplies and it serves uh, the, the, the mission of Jesus. And he says, if that's your gift, the word he uses is generously. If you're gifted, especially towards uh, contribution, then do so generously. And I will say this, uh, you have been blessed in one way or another by people who are generous in this church. You have hot coffee because some people are generous, right? We have chairs. I don't know if y'all remember the old blue chairs from uh, many years ago that uh, were falling apart and had no padding, and a few people uh, met the ground during the service. Uh, Somebody came forward, and they said, you know what? Uh, We're going to help provide some chairs. What were they? They were gifted and contributing. What did they do? They gave generously, and now you have a soft seat to sit on, some warm coffee. Uh, There's plenty of things for the kids to do, and uh, we get to give away a lot of resources and books because... Uh, people are generous. So if you're gifted with contributing, Paul says to give generously. Number six, he says leadership. Everybody say leadership. This is a spiritual gift from God. Some of you are wired as leaders. Uh, You are leading uh, families. You are leading nonprofits. You're leading community groups. You're leading your teams at work. You're leading uh, ministries in the church. Uh, pastors, elders uh, fit under uh, this gifting of leadership. Many staff leaders are leading things. A lot of different people are leading things. And Paul's saying here, if, if that's your gift, if your gift is in leading, um, then let the one who leads, lead with zeal. So if, if that's you, you know that this is a very difficult time to lead anything. If you lead anything, this is a very difficult time, and so you need to hear what Paul has to say uh, to lead with zeal because you're probably getting um, discouragement from within, discouragement from without, resistance from within, resistance from without. And so Paul says if your gift is leadership to do so with zeal, and I want to encourage you, if you know a leader, to encourage them because this is a very difficult time in ministry to lead. And the number seven, he gives us this, uh, this uh, acts of mercy. 
Okay, acts of mercy. Everybody say acts of mercy. This is the seventh gift that Paul talks about. Again, a pretty broad understanding of what that might mean. Um, Normally, this is people that are really drawn towards uh, difficulty or drawn to situations where somebody is in great need. Uh, High levels of of patience and levels of mercy. Uh, You like to be there when people are sick and like to be there when uh, people are suffering. You have patience and you pray with them and you uh, have a very strong ministry of presence, um, that you like to be present, and if, if you've ever walked through a difficult season and there's been some people in your life with this gift of acts of mercy, chances are you're incredibly grateful for them. And if you've ever walked through a season by yourself, then you know how difficult it is to walk through horrible seasons without somebody that's exercising their gift towards acts of mercy. He says, if this is your uh, gifting, to do so with cheerfulness. Okay, to do so with cheerfulness. That's just seven things. You can go back and you can look at the text from Ephesians, from uh, 1 Corinthians, and look at different uh, ways that Christians have been given different gifts. But this is what I, I would love to encourage you towards this morning. Um, to think about what has God wired you specifically to do. What's your place on the team? What position do you have on the team? And then are you doing anything to contribute that to the church? Okay, a few questions that you should probably ask if you really have no idea maybe where to start. Uh, I think you need to ask the question, what do you enjoy doing? A lot of times our gifting falls in line with our passion. What do you enjoy doing? Do you enjoy teaching? Uh, Do you enjoy praying? Do you enjoy giving? Do you enjoy serving? What do you enjoy doing? Uh, Maybe second question you can ask uh, is what are you effective at? Uh, Because normally if the Holy Spirit gifts us with something, we're going to be effective at that. A young man came to Charles Spurgeon one day and said uh, that he thought he was called to be a preacher. And uh, Spurgeon said, can you preach? He said, no. He said, you're not called. <laughs> like if, you're, if you're not effective at it, you're probably not gifted towards it. I have some people that have tried to encourage me, and I've walked away very discouraged. And I want to tell them, listen, your, your gift is just not encouragement, okay? You're just not effective at it. Somebody the other day said, we just love Redeemer. We've loved it since the beginning. You know, I just want to encourage you that we showed up and we thought you just, you were okay. You weren't the greatest preacher that we've ever had. And they just kept going. I'm like, "Uh, you can stop now. I am going to go find somebody with the gift of encouragement, right? You should maybe be on the setup and teardown team. Maybe you're more effective at that, right? Like, what are you effective at? This is how I kind of stumbled into ministry, that I uh, kind of got thrown in about 21 years old to teach this, uh, this Bible study with youth, uh, and towards the end, they were like, I kind of understood the Bible. You helped me connect the dots. You were effective uh, at, at communicating God's words. What are you effective at? So what do, you, what do you enjoy? What are you effective at? What are you burdened for? Okay, different people are burdened for different things. Some are burdened deeply for, uh, for the poor, for those that are broken. Some are burdened deeply for um, the purity of the gospel and for people to have accurate information. Some are burdened for, uh, for leadership and for vision. Uh, and we've got to be very careful. In fact, Paul warns us um, not, again, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought because what we tend to do is think that our gifts and our passions are a little bit more important and right maybe than everybody else's, right? He says, be careful that the eye doesn't say to the ear that I have no need of you, that they're all important. Every position on the team is important. What are you burdened for? 
If you were to try to, 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 to minister or to serve in a certain way or to meet a need, what would that be? What burden has the Holy Spirit put on you? Uh, also, you can ask someone. Ask someone that you know and you love and you trust, what do you see as some spiritual giftings in me? Sometimes other people can see those before we can. And then I would just simply say this, to try something, to do something. Paul even says this. He's like basically saying, we just need to get in there and, and, and get going and do something. We don't need a whole bunch of people riding the pine and just kind of sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else work. Every Christian... Every single Christian has a role to play, has a place on the team, has giftings and abilities that have been given by God for the common good. So my encouragement is just to get started doing something. You've heard the term, it's easier to steer a moving ship. Uh, it's easier to find out what your giftings are if you just kind of jump in and start serving and start, uh, start giving and start doing some things. I was dove hunting with my oldest son uh, a few months ago during dove season. And uh, it, was, it was actually uh, it was his first time to, to use a shotgun. And uh, he was just sitting there, and the doves were flying by. Oh, gosh. Oh, God. And finally, I was like, listen, buddy, just shoot. Just aim, shoot. And I think it, like, Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky or Michael Scott, I'm not sure who it was that said, you miss 100% of the doves you don't shoot at. Somebody said it. It's in there somewhere. Like, we just, we don't need a whole bunch of people that are just sitting back wondering, well, I wonder what I should do. I hope somebody else gives. I hope somebody else serves because I just kind of want to show up and be served. That's not what we're about, right? Find something to just jump in and get moving. It's easier to steer a moving ship and to find out what you're gifted at if you're trying to do something for the sake of the gospel in the world. So the question is, what would happen if every Christian listened to the advice of Paul thought through what our gifts were, and, and, and gave them to the body. What would happen to our mission to make disciples in Midland, Texas? We would be more effective at getting the glory of God through the gospel to the city if everyone was contributing. Also, we would be much more effective at taking the needs, taking care of the needs of the people in this room if everyone is contributing because everyone in this room at some point is gonna want somebody else to show up and be an encourager. True story? Everyone in this room at some point is going to want somebody to lead and somebody to teach and somebody to give and somebody to serve. And we're so grateful that when we get here, the chairs are set up and there's teachers in the kids area. But that only happens if everybody's contributing. So when everyone contributes, we have unity in diversity, all these different gifts and passions working together as one. We, we, we serve the mission of Jesus in the world better and we serve the mission of Jesus in the family better. And that's countercultural to the American individualistic idea. But we are called to a family. So that's what I want to invite you towards in these next few moments as you think through and pray through uh, what God has specifically called you to do, that you would listen to the Holy Spirit and that you would jump in and what Paul says, fan that gift into a flame. Let me invite you uh, to bow your head, to close your eyes where you're, right where you are, and we will pray towards that end. Father, you are you're good, you're, you're wise. Father, you have orchestrated this uh, family and the church and even this, this team with all sorts of different giftings and players 
uh, and, and values and, and abilities and passions and burdens so that we might be a very rounded, holistic expression of the body of Christ to the world. We truly are your body. And God, we believe it's going to take all of us contributing our, our efforts uh, to make this the most healthy representation of the body of Christ that we can. And so, Father, I pray for the believers in this room uh, that you would give them clarity to know what it is precisely that you have called them to do and that you'd help us not to think too highly of ourselves, help us not to think too lowly of ourselves, um, but to truly think of you and others first. Father, I pray that you would help us to be salt and light in the city of Midland. I pray that you'd help us to reach people with the gospel for the glory of God uh, in this time that we have on the planet. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.